Welcome to Scaling with Soul, formerly The Fifth Palette Almost Killed Me, a show that gives you a behind-the-scenes look at starting and growing a consumer products goods business. I'm your host, Heather K. Terry. I'm a New York City area-based consultant, and I've advised and had key roles in not only my own brands, but with dozens of others as well. My main objective is to help you avoid the many mistakes I've made or have been witness to in my 11 plus years as an entrepreneur. Let's get started. Well, I don't know what to say about 2020. It is turning out to be one heck of a year. And this interview today is no exception. We've had so many great interviews already this year, and um, I'm really, really uh, thrilled to bring Rebecca Minkoff to the show. An industry leader in accessible luxury handbags, accessories, footwear, and apparel, Rebecca Minkoff's playful and subtly edgy designs can be spotted around the world on young women and celebrities alike. After developing an affinity for design while in the costume department in high school, Rebecca Minkoff moved to New York City at only 18 years old to pursue her dream of becoming a fashion designer. In 2001, Rebecca designed a version of the I Love New York t-shirt as part of a five-piece capsule collection, which appeared on The Tonight Show and became an overnight sensation. In 2005, Rebecca designed her first handbag, which she soon dubbed the Morning After Bag, aka the Mab. This iconic bag ignited Rebecca's career as a handbag designer and inspired her edgy feminine creations in the years to come. Rebecca's success was further enhanced by the support of her brother and the company's CEO and co-founder, Yuri Minkoff, who helped usher in and pioneer the company's industry-leading social media efforts. After four years of designing statement-making handbags and accessories with her trademark leathers, studs, and hardware, Rebecca returned to her roots of apparel design and introduced her first ready-to-wear collection in 2009. Today, Rebecca Minkoff is a global brand with a wide range of apparel, handbags, footwear, jewelry, and accessories, including tech, as well as men's accessories under the label Yuri Minkoff. In the spring of 2017, Rebecca Minkoff Watches was launched, reimagining the category through their decidedly downtown rock and roll aesthetic. Yuri Minkoff also introduced its own distinct line of menswear timepieces. The brand has four domestic retail stores, eight international locations, and is distributed in over 900 stores worldwide. In 2011, Rebecca won industry recognition when she was awarded the Breakthrough Designer Award from the Accessories Council. She's an active member of the CFDA and supports multiple philanthropies. In August of 2017, she was announced as a member of the first-ever New York State Council on Women and Girls in the company of other female industry leaders, including Refinery29 founder Christine Barbrick, SoulCycle CEO Melanie Whelan, and Deloitte CEO Kathy Engelbert. Rebecca is dedicated to bringing women together to enact positive change. In September of 2018, she established the Female Founder Collective, a network of businesses led by women that invests in women's financial power across the socioeconomic spectrum by enabling and empowering female-owned businesses. Rebecca is married to Gavin Ballore, and they reside in Brooklyn with their three children. Introducing Rebecca Minkoff. One. 
Hey everyone, I'm so, so excited to have Rebecca Minkoff on the show today. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you, I'm glad to be on. Yeah, um, we've known each other for a little while and um, I know a little bit about your story, but I really wanna talk uh, a little bit about how you started your business. And um, you know, everybody kind of will look, you know, even at your story and even at the bio um, at the beginning of this podcast and say, oh, well, it just like happened overnight for her. Right. And, and that's not really the reality of the situation. So can you kind of get a little bit into your story and just like how you started? I know you started getting really um, interested in fashion and, and the industry when you were in high school and then sort of taking us through like how you came to the moment where you're like, I know this is what I want to do and the path I want to go down. Sure. Uh, yeah. So I fell in love with sewing and had a passion for design when I was around eight years old, it started just because um, I wanted a dress. My mother refused to buy it for me and said, I'll teach you how to sew. And I got a, a gupped bug into the fact that I could kind of create something out of nothing um, and just kept up that passion throughout my high school years and really decided um, I went to look at one college and just said, you know, what, this isn't for me. And, you know, what are alternative paths that I could take? Um, and in doing this exploratory mission, my brother mentioned he knew a designer that lived in New York and maybe he would have me as an intern. And so that's how it began. I moved to New York with two suitcases and living in my friend's dorm room at Fordham University and um, started working for this designer. Luckily, um, he paid me even as an intern and I was able to just barely eat, but still I, I could eat. And uh, that was kind of you know, my first taste of being in the fashion industry and ended up getting hired by this guy full time to work in design and did that for about three years. And then shortly before 9-11, I had made this I Love New York shirt. I had cut it up and just made it cooler and um, sent it to an actress that my sister-in-law knew. Her name is Jenna Elfman, and she um, got it on September 13th. I sent it to her on the 9th. And uh, she wore it on Jay Leno, and the rest is definitely not history, but that it was an explosion of press and orders and interest. Um, and it allowed me to get my name out there, and it allowed me to launch my company. So while it was a horrific event that occurred, um, you know, her, her support of the shirt and people wanting to galvanize and do something in solidarity really got my career started. That's amazing. Um, and it certainly didn't happen overnight, right? So it, I mean, yes, it happened overnight in terms of the opportunity, but it, there were many years that led up to that. So um, I always like to remind uh, listeners of this podcast that like, you know, that person who looks like they were an overnight success, they've been doing it for 10 years or five years or whatever it is, right? There's some story that happened before that, that got them to this place. Um, okay. So you mentioned working with your brother, and, you know, one of the cardinal rules of business, right, or something that people hear a lot is don't go into business with your family or friends. But for you, that really worked out. Yeah, I mean, I think that no matter who you're going to go into business with, if you have a partner, you're going to spend more time with this person than your spouse um, or any other person that I can think of in <laughs> that you spend time with. And so no one's ever going to get along perfectly. No one's ever going to just see eye to eye all the time. So you have to ask yourself like, A, do you, do you want to, you know, have that partner? I think the benefits 
definitely outweigh the, the, um, I don't know what the word is, the benefits outweigh the downfalls. Um, but I think, you know, it's not been without struggle and strife and fighting and, you know, hiring mediators and business therapists to help us figure stuff out because we do bring our brother sister relationship into things sometimes. And sometimes we don't see eye to eye and, you know, that has its effects on the business. So, um, I think today now more than ever, we're trying to be really smart about how we interact and on what and, um, save the, the, the mean stuff for our therapy sessions and, um, <laughs> wow. And just be upfront about it. So when there's an issue, it's, it's called out. And if, if we're not agreeing, you know, we have a third party that we've mutually agreed on that we're going to use to help kind of sort things out. That's amazing. You know, just because I think a lot of people feel like when they come to an impasse in business with a partner in particular, that the only option is to stay in and be miserable or to sort of jump ship so that you found a way of dealing with, you know, cause it could be anybody to your point. It's like, okay, well, it's my brother, but at the same time, it could be any partner. Right. So in order to continue the success of the business, you guys have found a way to really, um, work or work around that or have, have a, a sort of a dumping ground, right. Um, so to speak, I, you know, and it's funny, Rebecca, I've never really heard a lot of people talk about that, you know, um, in terms of, of just sort of having enough, uh, enough, maybe being grounded enough in, in your own self to just be like, yeah, you know, we have problems and we go to people to sort those problems out. So I applaud you for that. Certainly. Yeah, I mean, uh, I can't, I know so many co-founders that don't necessarily get along or it's not perfect. And so you gotta, you gotta sort stuff out. Like this whole painting a perfect picture of everything is always great all the time. Like, I'm not sure who's living that life. That would be nice, but I'm not sure, who, you know, who has that. Yeah. So on that, on that same note, you know, obviously we're both women in business and we both have been doing our, you know, respective businesses or our, the career path that we've both been on for quite a while. And certainly um, there are challenges that face us as women in business. And, and I want to ask, I know it's a little bit of a cliche question, but, um, you know, I, lo I love to ask female founders about what those challenges have been like for them. I mean, especially for you, because, you know, even though the fashion industry is so geared toward women, there are still a lot of men in it. And there are still a lot of men who are calling the shots behind the scenes. And, you know, I've known you for a little while and I know how strong you are as a woman and a leader. Um, what's that been like for you sort of as you, as you came into your own and as you've navigated these waters, you know, where have the challenges been and, and some of the, where, where are some of the highs and the lows in, on that journey? So if I'm being totally honest, um, the fashion industry has is more women are more cruel to women than men that I've seen. Um, I think there's a whole underbelly that we have yet to tackle as women. Like once we once once we're all equal with men and all that stuff, there's going to be a whole other thing of like the lack of support, the the talking of shit about each other, the minimization of each other that that happens all day long I think in the fashion industry I mean it's better now than it was but it was pretty bad for a while and so specifically to fashion it's the women that are on top not letting more women through um and that's been really hard in terms of like to navigate and then anytime we've had someone in this company undermine me it's sadly been another woman so um 
my my goal is to hopefully you know create an environment where that doesn't happen it's not perfect um and i'm and and now i just call it like i see it so you know whether i'm having dialogue with a prominent council for fashion and i'm like guys this isn't cool you know like look at the number of men you're giving awards to versus women and look at the person who's deciding this who's a woman like that's messed up that she's you know doing this or or she's not she's only looking at women who design at a certain price point for the one percent of the one percent and what about the women that design for all all women so there's definitely um a nice little underbelly that i try and peel back as often as i can and expose and am vocal about um i I kind of also just said, okay, the people that are still that way are part of an old school um, generation and they're going to die out or retire or move on. And so my fight to change it or, you know, like I'd rather just worry about what I'm focusing on with my business and with female founder collective than try and change like a systemic sickness within my industry that I know will die out, especially when the chief lady in charge, you know, finally dies or goes away. And I'm sure you can use your imagination with who that is. <laughs> well, it's interesting. <laughs> you know, I think, um, I think this is sort of universal, right? Um, and you and I are like of a similar uh, generation as well and sort of seeing how women act who are older than us and women who are younger than us. And, and I do think that, that our generation is making more of an effort to pull women up right? Versus hit ourselves mm -hmm. against other women. And I think that sort of crosses, uh, you know, all industries. Um, and, but I do also think, and without getting too political, you know, um, I think women are held to a different standard in a lot of ways, um, even by other women, by men and by other women, right? I mean, even look at like the 2016 election, you know, we had a woman running for president. She was held to a different standard than a man. And, you know, so I, I do think it's a universal problem. And to your point, you know, do you fight it or do you uh, just kind of wait for people to move on? I mean, I think there's, I think there's a real fine line and a balance to that, right? Because I do find days, I don't know, maybe you, maybe you see this too, like there are days where I want to fight it and I'm like, oh, I have to say something. Like I can't, I can't not say something, right? And then there are other days where it's just like, oh, is, is this person even worth it? Like, can I just, can I just let it move on? Can I, can I just, you just go away, <laughs> right? So, so I hear you on that. Um, and I don't think it's easy. And I think, um, but I do think that women that are older than us have got to start doing better if they're going to stick around. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, when I say I don't bother fighting it, like I've, you know, I've fought certain specific things to a point and then, and then it's just not worth my time anymore because I, I've got, you know, like I'm yeah. focusing on 12 million businesses, not the fashion industry itself. Um, right. And that just seems like a better use of my time. So to that end, let's talk about Female Founder Collective, because I know this is something that you're super passionate about and um, that I have found uh, to be a, it's such a, it's such a great organization. I think you've empowered a lot of women through it. So um, I want to talk a little bit about your decision to do this, the Female Founder Collective and, you know, how it's impacted your work and you know, why, it, it, why is it important to your legacy? Because I, I think this will be a legacy for you. I hope it is. I mean, I really started out of several things that were kind of occurring last summer where I felt like, you know, the questions on panels about like, what's it like to be a female founder were often, 
you know, like, is it different than being a male founder? P- potentially. <laughs> um, I don't know, just because I have a vagina, do I have a different founder experience? Maybe sometimes, you know, especially, you know, there's certain instances where, you know, women are affected by that. So I also was like, wow, there must not be enough of us. if like, this is a question because it's not a normal thing to see us. So I just thought, you know, can we create opportunity for female founded companies to grow and rise? Can we get the consumer to help on that journey? So we're not just dependent on, you know, more women in in corporate America making it to C-suite levels and and could you vote with your dollar? So it was uh, something I was passionate about and thought, what the heck, let's just see what happens. And so, you know, launched it last September. Um, And what's been beautiful about it is it's, it's no one doesn't want to support this because the people we're talking to all want the community. They all want the support and the help. And so when you're, when you're in a business where you're used to hearing a lot of no's every day, and then suddenly it's like, yes, yes. How can I help? What can I do? How can I be a part of this? It's just like a a phenomenal feeling and you're doing something that's good. So um, it's grown into something that I couldn't even imagine it growing into and it's continuing to grow. And we just, um, announced some really exciting programming with UBS to get women education. Um, it'll start in January, but education around taking on money so that when they do receive an investment, they know how to deploy the funds. They know how to speak to investors, um, which is a whole language in itself. And then we'll be introducing these women directly to people who want to invest in their companies. So we're really, you know, making sure that we connect women to individuals to get money, but educate them on what to do with it and how to be smart about it. Um, and that's just the beginning of our, of our sort of education and access to capital. But, you know, the group has uh, swelled to about 6,000 women owned businesses. Um, the seals on about two and a half million products. And so I think we're, we're just beginning to figure out like, what does this look like as we scale and, how do we scale faster? So what do you think that scaling is going to start to look like for you guys? Do you have any idea of how Female Founder Collective is going to grow and change and, and more of how the community can get involved? Yeah, I mean, starting to scale first involves us hiring people to help. So um, <laughs> we're going to be bringing on uh, one to two potential uh, more staff in the next month or so so that they can help with um, our current fiscal sponsors and partners so that we can then actually uh, focus on the community and the building of that. So we are going to be launching an ambassador program. We're going to be launching um, next year probably an event series in key markets every other month where it's a founder teaching in a more intimate environment. We're going to be continuing our two events that we did this year into next year, one around International Women's Day one in the fall. So you'll have every other month content that'll be content and education that will be, you know, dripping and then two hero events a year. Um, Down the line, maybe the year after, definitely taking the education digital so that you can, if you can't attend these events or you want to have a community, but you're not in a big market that you could actually get it online. That's awesome. So if there are female founders out there, go to the Female Founders Collective. It's femalefounderscollective.com, correct? Yeah, no S. No S. So femalefoundercollective.com. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So go over there and check it out. Um, I became a very early member and um, it's a really great supportive network of people. And um, the, you know, I've been to a few of your events and they're always lovely and you always meet people and it's a great networking opportunity overall. But I also think um, to your point, like people are really willing to extend the hand and that is something that not every organization uh, gives, you know, uh, women the opportunity to do with one another. So it's, it's a pretty awesome organization. You, know, you were just talking a little bit about um, the, the you know, the, the finance program and, and the raising of capital and women um, raising capital and helping them understand that with USB, with UBS. Um, and, uh, you know, women are traditionally underfunded in business period, right? We know that um, women, have a difficult time going to VC investors. VCs are under underfunding uh, women or not funding women-owned businesses at all. Um, you know, so for a woman like yourself, in you are in consumer products, um, which is a lot of what women are out there. Um, they're they're out there founding those types of companies. You know, CPG in general is an underfunded category when you look at categories like tech and fintech. So what would be like some of your advice to women who are out there looking for money right now, um, just from your own experiences? I think um, I can speak to you about my experience, but I think it's probably uh, more telling to, to just hearing how some women are raising money now, because I didn't go raise VC money. We, we took on some private equity back in 2012. And mm -hmm. you know the people we were speaking to were very sophisticated as far as their knowledge of my industry. So it's not like I had to sell them on a use case. Mm -hmm. um, but I did interview someone for my podcast yesterday that was really smart. And every single VC that told her no, she said, what exactly are you looking for me to hit from a revenue perspective or a growth perspective so that you would give me a check? And after hearing 20 no's, it was the same metrics and the same uh, KPIs that these species were looking for. So she actually just turned her business strategy and her own personal, like what she needed to accomplish that year into achieving exactly what all these people said. And then she went back to them eight months later and said, here you go, write me a check. And it was the easiest money she got. So I think when you're talking to these people, they're looking for something very specific. Um, yes, you might have to educate them on like if it's a tampon company or something that a male, you know, a male might never get to experience a period. Um, but I think they're looking for certain metrics. And I think the more you can hone down on what that is, and then if you do want that money, um, you know, making sure you hit those goals, it, it'll make the check writing a lot easier. I also think VC sounds very sexy and very fun and it seems very trendy and all the women on the covers of the magazines got a lot of it, but you're selling off big chunks of your company. You don't then have a say in everything and is that the life you want to lead? So I think you also have to look at the fact that there's other forms of capital that might not be as press worthy, but you'll retain a lot more of your business, like a traditional bank loan or a mix of credit and debit. Um, we talk about that at our events. We always have a seminar about that. Or could you crowdfund using iPhone women? I just think there's other opportunities that women need to look to so that they're not setting themselves up for failure that they didn't get the, the VC investment. Yeah, I think, you, I think you're hitting, hitting on a couple of really great points here. You know, number one, um, this is something I talk with entrepreneurs about all the time, this collection of information, you know, especially in my category in the natural products industry you know, companies going up in front of buyers and buyers giving feedback. And, and you know, sometimes when a company is your baby, 
uh, you know, and somebody gives you some criticism or says you really, you really should have gone this way or that way. Same thing with VCs, you know, this way, that way, this is what we'd like to see from you. You can take that really personally, right? You can, you can, you have two choices. Yeah. You can take that information really personally, or you can take that information and say, you know what? I wonder if somebody else will say that. I wonder if the next person and the next person, and the next person will say that, because if they do, then maybe I should really consider changing something. Right. Um, yeah. So how does that, you know, that whole concept of taking in information, taking in feedback, I mean, you surround yourself with a lot of different people and a lot of really smart people. Um, so, you know, how does that play a role for you at Rebecca Minkoff and also at Female Founder Collective? How does what? Sorry. It's, it's gathering information, like taking in all that information from other sources um, in terms of your own decision making. I think you have to rely on your team and ask questions. And, you know, I personally set up meetings with areas that I want more information in that it's not in my day to day. Um, so I think it's relying on. Yeah. Does that answer the question? Yeah. yeah. Like relying, you do rely okay. very heavily on the people around you for information that you need to make those decisions. Yeah. Totally. I mean, that's what the team is for is hopefully they do more than me. Um, so. Yeah, I think, I think sometimes founders, especially in the early days, I think they can feel really alone, right? They can feel really alone or like they're getting conflicting information or they're, you know, they're not. I see what you're saying. I, yeah. I think, I think that I rely on a network of women. I mean, it's partially also why I started the female founder collective is like, I talk to founders, like I'm not going to call up my best friend who knows nothing about my business, frankly, or about business in general and like, be like, what do I do? You know, I'll call, you know the CEO of Birchbox, you know, who is right. a dear friend, but also a woman running uh, a huge company, or, you know, I think there's women I choose to lean on that, that know what I'm going through and that have had that founder experience. And that's who I kind of will gut check with. That's great. It's really about like creating that tribe and getting those trusted people in your inner circle that you know that when you're starting to get confused, you're just like, oh my God, what do I do? I'm paralyzed that you can go to them and you're going to get a straight answer. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and I really appreciate the other thing you just said um, before this, you know, about the combination that VC money seems really, really sexy. Because I do think, I, I can't tell you how many entrepreneurs come to me, Rebecca, and they're like, but I'm going to go to this VC and that VC and this VC. And I'm like, you need to check yourself before you literally wreck yourself. Like you're going to wreck the, you're going to, you're going to give away your whole business to these guys. They're sharks, right? So, you know, I love that you are saying you were really having this conversation with a lot of different women about debt, um, you know, con, you know, con, convertible notes or different kinds of financing, different, different things, different mechanisms. There's a lot of different mechanisms out there that I think, you know, all entrepreneurs, not even just women don't consider because VCs seem so sexy. So I really appreciate you talking about that for a second. Yeah, of course. Um, okay, so um, I want to know, so now I'm going to kind of get into some, we'll get into a little bit of a debate here. Um, you know, I want to talk about something that I, I heard. Um, I'm a member over at Chief, and um, I was with a bunch of women there last week, and, and this topic became so intriguing to me um, overall. To your point earlier about um, the questions that you're asked on a panel or um, in, a, in any situation, right, about being a woman in business. And so one of those questions um, that I always inevitably get asked, and, and of course, all of these women always get asked, whether they're on a panel, a small group, mentoring, whatever, is this idea of work-life balance between, 
having a job and being a mom. And it, this topic inevitably always comes up. And I was sitting with another woman from iHeartRadio and she said, you know, I don't give a like she was just like, I don't care about work-life balance. I have a nanny. Somebody cleans my house. It's okay if my kids are average. Like it's okay. Like they're, it's all messed up and I'm just doing the best that I can. Right. And she, and the point of it was that like, I think everyone expects us all to have the perfect answer to that question. And so I'm just curious your thoughts on that because it was, it was one of those topics that the whole group, you know, these are, this is just a group of like C-suite executives, like sitting at a table, all being like, I hate this question so much. And why, why is there this expectation of balance? So I'm curious of your thoughts on that. So I want to start by saying men never had balance. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's just go back to when women weren't working. Men never had balance. They had to work all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that whoever created this notion that we should have it, like we've truly been in the workforce under a hundred years, I would say in a meaningful way. And we're going to have to redefine what work and life look like, knowing that it's sort of new for all of us. If you take how long humans have been around and uh, it's not going to be an example of looking at men and it's up to us to sort of redefine what that looks like for us on our own terms. And, you know, again, women who are having, more businesses and call into shots are going to decide for themselves what that looks like. And so I think that you can't expect there this thing to be in balance and, and everyone's different. You know, I, I see moms that I think work too much and I see moms that I think work too little. And really at the end of the day, it's none of my business. I think I, you know, I work hard to go like, what is, what is, what is, what is it look like to me? And how do I, as much as I can keep my boundaries for myself? And so I've tested them. I've worked too much. I've worked too little. You know, I'm excited to go to work on a Monday. I'm like, the weekend was great. And I love my children, but thank God I have somewhere to go. Um, and I think you, you have to decide it for your own and not look at what Instagram says, not look at what other women have and just really figure out for yourself. Like, what is, what does it look like? And how do you build a life? that it closely replicates what, what works for you in your gut. And it won't ever be balanced because that's not a real thing. It doesn't exist. Right. And it won't always look like what somebody else's looks like. I think that is a hundred percent the underlying uh, theme here on that one. For me, especially, it's just like, just because it looks, you know, to your point, like just because it looks like it for this, for one person doesn't mean it has to look like this for me. And I think so many women are out there trying to find that answer. And the answer is there is no answer. The answer There's no comes answer. from within, <laughs> right? The answer is your answer. It's like, you know, for me, I know that every week I have one to two nights where I'm going to be late. And that's mm -hmm. fine. If it gets three to four, five, that starts to hurt. If it's around fashion week and I'm like, okay, the next two weeks are going to suck. I'm barely going to see my kids. All right. I'm mentally prepared for that. I, I tell them, Hey guys, I'm not going to be around that much. You know, like, I think you just have to go like for you, like, where's that gut check? And then if it's not right, you have to start making changes in your life to, to really make sure it changes. Yeah. I, I can totally appreciate that. I'm of the same, I'm of the same thought. It's like, Two nights, okay. You know, you get to that three, four, five, it starts to get, it does, it starts to hurt. It starts to hurt in, in a lot of different ways. But, um, but I, I hear you and thank you for being so candid about it. Yeah, of course. Um, okay, two more questions for you. Um, one is, uh, what motivates you every day? And what has gotten you through the hard moments on your entrepreneurial journey? What motivates me every day is 
that there are still things to be learned and there are still challenges to overcome. And, you know, it's always fulfilling when you think you couldn't do something and you did it or something seemed hard and like you weren't going to ever make it. And then you did. Um, I think the work with female founder collective and my podcast are like fulfilling from a soul perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I would say, What's the other question? <laughs> the other Sorry. question is, you know, what's gotten you through the difficult moments? Like, is there something that's um, carried you through? I guess a few things, you know, with it being my brother and I, and we used to have a woman that was our president for about 12 years. Um, when one man was like, all right, I'm thrown in the towel. The other two would be like, no, we got this. So there was always someone who was just like, I'm on watch. We're, we're going to keep this going. And that has probably prevented a lot of uh, me running off to Greece and opening up my sandwich shop that I want to have one day. <laughs> Is that a dream? <laughs> Definitely. I just want to make sandwiches in Greece and sell them on the beach. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's amazing. Um, and then I think... Um, I think the other thing is that 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 probably like keeps you going is or like I don't know I don't have a backup there isn't a backup plan you know you're not like there isn't a there's no like oh then I'll just go do blah like what would I do yeah I'm trying to think of something uh, I call it burning the boats you burn the boats you got on an island (laughs) you burn the boats Right, exactly. So there's no if you don't if you don't conquer this island, like you're screwed, basically. Yeah, I mean I could go do some other things, but there's nothing on this scale or this, you know, platform that seems as exciting. So I'm kind of just I'm in it for the long haul. See what happens. Yeah. Well, you're doing a great job, Rebecca. And um I have mad respect for you. Um I'm so glad to know you. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. My pleasure. I mean, what else can you say about motherhood, running a business, doing business with your family? I'm not sure we could get any deeper into it than that. Uh, Thank you so much, Rebecca, for coming on the podcast. Remember, Scaling with Soul comes out as often as we can produce it because we're busy and it's a little crazy and we're running companies and building companies. It's really a lot of fun. Follow us on Instagram. For more startup business insights, sign up for my newsletter at heatherkterry.com or buy my book, From Broadway to Wall Street, Cautionary Tales of an Unlikely Entrepreneur, available on Amazon. If you have an idea or question for the podcast, direct message me on Instagram at Heather K. Terry. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast on iTunes. If you'd like to work with me directly, go over to the website and click on the Offerings tab. You can contact us there to set something up. Scaling with Soul is executive produced by Lauren Apeltz, and all visual elements are created by Radhika Maheshwari, Casey Alvarez, and the Alvarez Branding Company. Now, get out there and do something to move your business forward. Till next time.